before we dive into the word of God today, I just want to say, don't you guys have the best pastor in the whole wide world? Like your pastors are absolutely amazing. The last time I had Jabin in to preach at our churches, I just almost resigned. And it's like, here, why am I even doing this? Like, what is even the point of me trying to preach a message after you not only preached, but sang? Like, what is going on here? Like, God, when you were handing out talents, how could you give so much to one? individual, but your pastors carry it with so much humility and so much grace. They are dear friends, and right now, all over the world, can we just give it up for your pastors? Like, these guys are the best of the best. Uh, I just am honored to have this opportunity to speak into your life, and my goal every time I communicate is not to be impressive. Uh, I just want the Holy Spirit to make an impression on your heart. And I have had it in my spirit just the, the whole time in getting ready for uh, this service to talk to you about overcoming the hurt that comes from relationships, specifically family. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about family is every family has some dysfunction in the family. It doesn't matter who you are, every family has some dysfunction in the family. And if your family, you're looking at it and you say, it has no dysfunction in the family, let me just help you right now. It's because you are the dysfunction. Like, if you look at your family and there's no dysfunction, that's because it's probably coming from you. Because every family has some dysfunction in the family. And the reason why is family is so important to God. I want to ask you to do something with me. Wherever you're at, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at this together, Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to first look at chapter 3 and verse 14, and then we're going to move over to Ephesians chapter 4. But notice this in Ephesians 3 and verse 14. It says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. Notice the connection there, that God is not just God, he is our heavenly father, and we just aren't people, we are the children of God, we are his family. The father and his family. In Ephesians chapter four, we see this in verse number 26. It says, be ye angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And verse 29, it says, and let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, but instead, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgive one another, even for Christ's sake, as Christ has forgiven you. 
Every family has some dysfunction in it. And the reason why is nothing brings God more pleasure than seeing family. Did you know that that's the reason why God invented the whole world? He wasn't bored and said, well, you know what I'll do today. I'll just make an earth and, you know, put some people on it. No, our heavenly father wanted a family. He wanted someone to be with, to walk with, to laugh with. He wanted the power of presence. He wanted the power of connection. And so the father created a family. Well, we know that in this world that we have an enemy, and so does God. His name is Satan. He's the adversary of our soul. The Bible we just read said that we can give place to him by allowing wrath into our life and those types of things. And we see the enemy comes into the story in the book of Genesis, and of course he wants to hurt the heart of God. And of course, he sees that the father has such a love for this family that he sees what better way to break the heart of the father than to separate the family of God, to separate them from God, but also to separate them from each other. And so the very first family that we see in Scripture was a dysfunctional family. We see the husband and wife fighting. We see brothers getting jealous with each other. We see a brother wind up actually taking the life of his brother. And this is the very first family in Scripture. So this almost gives us a little hope, I guess we could say, because when you read your Bible, I love how it does not hide the flaws of each and every person and family that is in it. And that just gives us all hope that if these people could have God move in their life, that surely our family and ourselves could see God move in our lives as well. So we see the, the enemy attack the family knowing that it's going to break the heart of God. See, the place of unity is the place of power. When Jesus was leaving the earth, he did not come and say, Father, make them powerful. He said, Father, make them one. Because he knew that wherever people could come together and be one, that unity, it is the place of power. That where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, that there is power that is in that place. And so the enemy knows that when he can break us apart and bring disunity, bring division, that a house divided against itself cannot stand. That in doing this, he not only breaks the heart of God, but he also takes our spiritual power and it opens up the door for him to have place in our lives. Uh, in my life, I am not immune to this. How many of you know, just because we're pastors, we are not immune to dysfunction coming up in our families? And I grew up the son of a preacher. My father and mother pastored this church, started this church. And uh, my father was a, a drug addict. And he got saved at a James Robinson crusade and ran down to the altar and gave his heart for Jesus. And there was a guy down there at the altar who said, if you're serious about walking with Jesus, 
meet me back up here tomorrow morning. And he did. My father met him the next day, and he took him around to all of his friends and made my father tell them, look them in the eyes and tell them, I have made a decision for Jesus. I am not backing down from that decision, so don't call me or contact me unless you want to know Jesus. And that man changed my father's life discipleship, getting connected to a local church, getting connected to the body of Christ. And my father, through walking with Jesus, felt the call of God on his life to come back and plant a church in that community. And out of that, his mother came and worked for him. His brother came and worked for him. And my grandfather, which was his father, became our head usher. And the church grew and God's hand came on it and was just Bless. That's the only word I know for it. Just bless. And everything was great. And I grew up in that environment, and I was around my, my uncle and my aunt a lot. And I was at my grandparents' house just as much as I was at my house. And some of my favorite childhood memories came uh, at my grandparents' house. But in this family that was so wonderful and beautiful, and I know brought joy to the Father's heart, the way that we interacted with each other in life and in ministry, uh, it began to get fractured. Division began to come into it. And Satan began to uh, attack that relationship. And what happened is, is my uncle felt the call of God on his life as well. And my father felt like that he began to kind of use his influence in the church to maybe take some of the power or kind of, you know, pull some of the attention over into himself. And so my father was letting him preach less and less within the church. And then my uncle, make a long story short, uh, left the church and split the church in some way and Went and started a church a couple of miles from where my, my father's church was. And my father obviously was hurt by this. And my uncle was hurt by some of the things that my father did. And my grandmother and my grandfather went with my uncle. And we went years. Like, I was a kid when this happened. And I, all I know is, is like, one week we're at my grandmother's house and, you know, there all the time. And then I went seven years without ever seeing her again. No Christmas, no Thanksgiving. Uh, if we walked into a grocery store and saw them, we walked out of the grocery store. And these are pastors. Like, I mean, you know, like I said, every family has a little dysfunction in it. Uh, so we're here and we're, we're facing these things. And I don't know exactly why we're not going over there. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly why this is happening. I just know, like, there's been a lot of hurt there. And I could see it in my father's eyes, especially as I hit my teenage years and kind of noticed the, the changes that had happened within him. And then my father died. When I was 17 years old, my father passed away. And to give you an idea of how contentious our family was, my uncle was not allowed into the funeral, and so he stood out on the side of the road and picketed. This is my family story. 
Now, I became pastor. My father died when I was 17. I became pastor at this church at 19 years old. I bribed a lot of people in order to get, no, I'm kidding. It was just the hand of God that enabled it to happen. And Anyway, uh, God really showed me as a young man all that God had for me. How many of you know God has plans to prosper you? God has plans to give you a hope and a future. God has plans to move mountains in front of you. And God showed me these things and so I get back from Bible school and I make a decision like I'm going to take over the state of Mississippi and when I took over dramatically the church began to fall apart if you want to know how to tear apart a church just ask me because under my exceptional leadership attendance went from about a thousand people to 400 people quick Uh, so uh, anyway I'm here and I'm like God you know look I've got to turn this over to somebody else. Like my job before this job was making a quarter above minimum wage. So for me to restart my life, not a big deal. But I have employees who work for this church and have worked for this church who if they lose their jobs because of my ineptitude at preaching and teaching, I just won't be able to rest with that. I won't be able to to do that. So if you don't help me, I'm going to have to give this church to somebody else. And I kid you not, like the next morning I woke up and it was like in my heart, I just really sensed God's leadings and God really began to deal with me. And he asked me this question, do you want to be well? You remember when Jesus was, was at the pool, you know, an angel would come and kind of stir up the pool and whoever jumped into the water first uh, immediately was made well. And uh, this guy had set out by this pool for years and had never gotten well. Like he obviously sees there's healing in the water if he just gets in the water, but some way or another, somebody keeps beating him in. And Jesus comes to this individual and he asks him this question. Do you want to be well? And God asked me this question. I said, yes, I want to be well. Like, I want this ministry restored. I want my life restored. I want to move forward into the plans that you have for me. Yes, I want to be well. And I kid you not, in my heart, I just heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. You have to forgive your uncle. I'm like, is there any other way? Like, is it okay to tell you no? Like, I don't even know what happened there. I just know we don't like each other, and that's incredibly awkward. And if there's anybody who should be forgiving anybody, it's, you know, and coming to anybody to repent and change, it should be him coming to us. and You know, all these types of things. But I just really felt this huge impression in my heart. So, you know, I did nothing. For weeks, I did nothing. And finally, the Lord came and spoke to my heart, and he gave me a scripture out of the book of Luke, and you've probably heard this scripture before if you've walked with God. It's where Jesus said this statement. He said, remember Lot's wife. And you know the story of Lot and his wife and family. God calls them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels literally have to pull them out of the city because they know destruction is coming towards it. And, And here we see the angel pulling them out of the city, and Lot's wife turns back and when she does she turns into a pillar of salt she becomes a statue in that moment and this is an amazing story right like it's like this is amazing but do you remember where Jesus said like have you taken the time to really meditate on what happened to Lot's wife 
Remember Lot's wife, Jesus said. I want you to remember Lot's wife. Well, what am I learning about Lot's wife? This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me about Lot's wife. He said, the past doesn't matter unless you're choosing to live in the past. The past doesn't matter unless you live in the past. How many of you know our great God is merciful? Like you have this this family who is living in sin, but God's not holding any of those trespasses against them. In his great mercy and grace, he is bringing them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of you know God will do the same thing for you? He will not hold your mistakes against you. He will not hold your transgressions against you. God is full of mercy and abounding in great grace. God's love can wipe away your past. Your past, it does not matter. The hurts of your past, they don't matter. The mistakes of your past, they don't matter unless you live in it. And here, Lot's wife, had left the past, but the past had not left her. And the price, I want you to get this. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. The price of her not getting the past out of her was she could make no progress towards her future. The price of her getting out of the past But the past not getting out of her is she could make no progress towards the life God was calling her to, the places God was calling her to, the nation God was calling her to. She could make no progress towards God's plan. And God dealt with me so strong. He's like, Joel, you know I have all these plans for you. You know your future is better than your past. You know my hand is on you. You know where I want to take you. And all that happened in the past, all that happened with your uncle, all that happened with those things, you are out of it. Like you have been delivered from that moment. But the past that you are out of, it is not out of you. And if you don't get the past out of you, you can make no progress towards the plans that I have for you. And I want to encourage you, friend. All of us have things in our past. Paul had things in his past. Noah got drunk. Abraham cheated on his wife. David committed murder. All of us have things in our past. All of us have hurts in our past, wounds in our past, tragedy in our past. But here's something I've got good news for you today, City Light. Here's something I want you to know. God is greater than your past. God is greater than your mistakes. God is greater than your shame. Your past doesn't matter. But if God can't get the past out of you, If you're looking at what happened in the past, the the price of that is you can make no progress towards the plan God has for you. Remember Lot's wife. And I want to encourage you today. 
That that journey for me, it involved me going to my uncle and repenting towards him for having unforgiveness in my heart towards him. This conversation was the definition of awkward. If you looked up awkward in the dictionary and it had a picture, it would be me and my uncle sitting at O'Charlie's waiting way too long for the food and sitting there in silence because neither of us know what to say to each other. And finally, I opened up and repented. And he told me about his hurts and his wounds. Told me about what had happened in his family. And I saw the price of getting even. Amazing. Me and my uncle developed a relationship. Me and my grandmother developed a relationship. My uncle passed away. I was at his bedside when he passed. I preached his funeral. My grandmother and my family are incredibly close, so close, I pay her cell phone bill. That's, that's how close we are, like amazingly close. God's just come and restored it. But it's more than just the restoration of the family that I believe brought so much pleasure to God. I have seen a power come on my life. I have seen a power come on my ministry. I have seen a power come on our church that took us from 400 people to thousands of people all over the world. And you know why I believe that happened? It wasn't because in my past it was perfect. It was because I made a decision to get my past out of me. And I want to ask you, City Light, I want to ask each one of you, I want to ask you to work up the courage to get the past out of you. I want to ask you to make a decision to walk away from the past and to work up the courage to stop looking back. But I know many of you are asking this question. How can I forgive what I cannot forget? How can I, Pastor Joel, how can I forgive what I cannot forget? Here's why. Forgiveness is powerful. And when I hold bitterness in my heart towards someone, it, it gives me something that I don't want. When I hold bitterness in my heart towards someone, it actually begins to change me into the person that I am holding that bitterness towards. Uh, there's this story in scripture about Absalom, young king, full of power, got hair, like, I got hair, and of course I reach to my bald head when I say, got, he had hair, like, beautiful hair, incredibly anointed guy. But you know, his story ended in tragedy, and you know why? Bitterness. He had this moment where he was hurt by his brother. His brother forced himself on his sister. Once again, dysfunctional families are everywhere in Scripture. His brother forces himself on his sister. Absalom is incredibly angry by this, as well as he should be. And he comes to his father, David, and he's like, you've got to do something about this. And of course, David does nothing because David is thinking, how can I judge somebody for their sexual sin when I have been guilty of sexual sin too? So instead of doing the right thing, David does nothing and brings no consequence into this young man's life. 
And Absalom's looking here at this, and he's getting more and more upset at David and the brother who trespassed against his sister. He's been hurt by this. He's been wounded by what has happened in his family. And he's angry. And out of this anger, it turns into wrath. Instead of of giving that anger to God, instead of processing this hurt with a healer in Jesus, he lets this anger turn into wrath. And wrath is when you begin to act on your anger. And he, he comes to his brother who's trespassed against his sister and he murders him. And then David finally decides to step in, the father, and he's like, Absalom, what did you do? He's like, well, you didn't do anything, so I had to do something. And David now begins to punish Absalom. He kicks him out of the kingdom. Finally, Joab, who's real close to David, he comes to him and he's like, David, like, what are you doing? You're just messing up this family. And David brings Absalom back, and when Absalom gets back in the kingdom, he's has this hope of reconciliation, but David doesn't even bring him in to see him face to face. And out of this, like this just breaks Absalom's heart even further. And he gets angry at David, and now he not only wants to retaliate against his brother, but he wants to retaliate against David too. And he makes a decision to take his kingdom. You know what he did? And when he finally is in his position of power, when he's finally in this place where he thinks, now, like, I can absolutely just, you know, do whatever I want to do, show them how to run the kingdom, you know what he does? He turned into the very men that he hated. He hated his brother for forcing himself on his sister. He hated his father for forcing Absalom out of the kingdom. When Absalom gets in power, he became the very men that he hated. He forces himself upon all of David's wives, and he forces David out of the kingdom. See, the cost of bitterness is when I possess it in my heart, I turn in to the very person who offended me. I turn in to the very person who wounded me. I have to learn how to deal with these things. I have to process this. I know that so many people are asking, well, well, how? Like, how do I go? Pastor Joel, like, how do I go into this process of forgiveness? I'll tell you how. Forgiveness is always hard when I believe I am the saint and they are the sinner. Whenever I am facing a challenge with forgiveness, it's because I believe I'm the saint and they are the sinner. And in that place, forgiveness will always be hard. When I'm mindful of all that they have done and I have no mindfulness of what I have done and the mercy Jesus has shown me, I'm always destined to hold unforgiveness in my heart. But if I can take a moment and have like a Matthew 18 experience and allow forgiveness to flow to me, and for God to bring to my remembrance all he's forgiven me of and allow forgiveness to flow to me, then out of that place I can see forgiveness flow through me. But if I don't allow forgiveness to flow 
to me, I'll never be able to allow forgiveness to flow through me. And if we can become mindful of how Jesus has forgiven us, it'll give us the courage and the grace to forgive those who have trespassed against us. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a message, and I'll close with this, of this lady who had gone through so much in her marriage relationship. And she had just been hurt and wounded, disappointed. And in this this moment, she just felt so broken in need of healing. So she met with a counselor. And the counselor walks her through this. And after a couple of sessions of hearing her pain, he said, you know what we have to do here? We have to forgive. And she looked at him and she said, I don't know how to forgive what I cannot forget. I'm a Christian. I'm a minister. I teach on forgiveness all the time. But I don't know how to forgive what I cannot forget. He told her to do something, and and maybe this would be good for some of you who may be hurting, like from a deep wound that's come through family. He said, here are some three-by-five cards. He said, in this session, all I'm going to ask you to do is to write down all the hurts and the wounds that came to you from this relationship on these three by five cards. And she just, one after the next, begins to fill in stories and moments where she was hurt, stories and moments where she was wounded, stories and moments where she was betrayed. And she wrote down all of these stories and put them on the table. And looking there at the table, she realized all of these offenses and hurts were before her. She looked over at her her counselor and she saw tears in his eyes. And she said, it was one of the greatest gifts anybody could ever give me. To have someone else see all of my hurts. To have someone else see all of my pains. To have someone else look at what was done unto me. And to be touched by it. To be hurt by it. She said, just knowing someone else saw what I went through and saw how much it could hurt me was a gift that I didn't know how much healing could come from it. And I want to encourage you that just like that counselor saw her her, 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 her hurt and I saw the hurt of that young woman who was in our church services months ago, that God sees your hurt, that God sees your pain, that God has seen every tear you have cried. And your healer, your father, he wants nothing more than to have access to you in this very moment. And here's how. The counselor looked at, looked at this lady and he said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Is I'm gonna give you a red sticker and just line and line of red stickers. And I want you to come And upon each one of these cards, I want you to place a red sticker 
in the middle of the card. He said, when you put that red sticker on the card, he said, I want you to say this. I forgive you of this. I forgive you of this hurt. I forgive you of this wound. I forgive you of this betrayal. And then he said, I want you to say this. And whatever my emotions will not allow me to forgive, surely the blood of Jesus is big enough to cover it. Oh, and I want you to know, church, City Light, I want you to know that I don't care what you've done. I don't care what mistake you have made. I don't care who you've betrayed. I don't care what wrong you've committed. The blood of Jesus, it is surely big enough to cover it. But not just in our lives. It's surely big enough to cover all the trespasses of those who have trespassed against us. One by one, she went to those cards and placed a red sticker on each one of those cards. And she said, at the end of it, I looked down at the table. And she said, I had this emotional moment where I realized that what I was now looking at was not the offenses and the hurts and the betrayal of the person who wounded me. But what was looking me in the face was the shed blood of Jesus, which is great enough and big enough and strong enough to wash away every single sin. She said, in that moment, I realized that God had given me the power to forgive. Because forgiveness, it is not determination. Forgiveness, it is cooperation. You will never be able to forgive just with determination saying, I'll forgive them, I'll forgive them, I'll forgive them. You'll not be able to forgive just with determination. But if you get in the spirit of cooperation and realize that the same blood of Jesus that washed you from your mistakes and sins is the same blood of Jesus that can wash them from their sins and you get in that flow of cooperation then I'm telling you when you allow that forgiveness to flow to you is when forgiveness will be able to flow through you when you make this decision over the next couple of months or the next time you see him again you may remember the trespass that they committed against you but when you remember that trespass, it does not make you a forgiveness failure. The memory of what someone did to you does not mean you were a forgiveness failure. It just means that the actions that they trespassed against you with are so weighty that it lasts on your soul. When those emotions come back, you just say, no. I choose to forgive you. And what my emotions right now will not allow me to forgive, surely the blood of Jesus is big enough to cover it. City Light, let me pray for you. 
Right now, everyone in the room, everyone watching, could you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here right now watching this, and today you want to be washed and cleaned by the blood of Jesus, you want to receive mercy and you want to give mercy. You want to receive Jesus. Maybe it is for some of you the very first time. But maybe for some of you, you've just gotten hard. Or you've been like Lot's wife looking at the mistakes of your past. And today you want to receive mercy for it. But if you're there in the room or watching online and that's you, Right now, would you just, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just lift your hands and to surrender to Jesus. And would you pray this prayer with me? You can just repeat it after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. And I believe that his blood that was shed for me is big enough and strong enough to help me to forgive what I cannot forget. It is forgiving and cleansing my mistakes and the mistakes of others against me. And today, Holy Spirit, heal my heart, bind up my wounds, and help me be able to stand as your child and walk towards the paths that God has for me in Jesus name city light it's been a joy to minister to you hopefully one day I'll see you in person incredibly soon you're absolutely God's best and now I'm going to turn it over the service closer.